This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. We continue from the story of halfway through the story of Saleh alayhi salam. So we said last week that the people of Saleh challenged Saleh about his truth and his prophethood. And then after they mocked him, just like the people before mocked Hud alayhi salam, those before who mocked uh, Nuh alayhi salam, these ones mocked their prophet as well. And when somebody is on the truth and people are on the false, and they know that you're on the truth, but they don't want to accept it, they start to lobby against you, make propaganda against you falsify and gossip, to mix the truth with false because of their agenda. But no matter how far the false reaches, the truth eventually catches up. Always. My brothers and sisters in Islam, Salih said, you ask me for any miracle that you want to see and I will give it to you and ask Allah to give it to you. But on one condition that you honor, trust, and obey Allah in anything He tells you after that. And you believe in Him. They said, we give you our word. The people who asked Him for this miracle were the elite people, the leaders of the tribes, the people who thought they were superior to others. They were the main problem. So we said last week that they said to Him, we want you to produce for us a she-camel. That is the largest and biggest she-camel we've ever seen. And the she-camel has to come out of that rock over there. As the rock has to crack open and a big she-camel has to come out of it. Not only that, it has to be pregnant with a male camel that's just about to be born within a couple of months. And they said it has to be so big that it would need a whole day by itself to drink from that well that supplies the water to our city. Like as much as the whole village, that's how big we need it to be. It needs a whole village supply of water to drink from it. This was their request. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches people and calls people and advises people and they don't want his advice, he then tells them, okay, what do you want? What do you want for you to believe? If that's the issue that you just don't believe, because you haven't seen me or you haven't, you're not convinced, then you tell me what you want. And so they said, bring us that. And he said, if I do that, will you believe? They said, yes. He said, then wait. By the way, the story is in the Quran. I'm not just saying it out of hadiths or anything. It's in the Quran. And so they waited until the day came. And subhanAllah, they heard the rumbling, a rumbling where the stone is. They all gathered, the big elite people. And they saw before their eyes the rock crack open. And from it came out exactly the descriptions which they asked for. The biggest she-camel they have ever seen, pregnant with a baby, male, they didn't know if it was male yet, but it was pregnant, about to give birth. 
they passed the news on to each other and Salih came to them and said, okay, Allah commands you that this she-camel is a trust. He said, Ya Qawmi, O my people, This is the she-camel of Allah for you, as you asked. Do not harm it in any bad. It's a trust. It's a waqf, a entrusted to you. Do not touch it. And you might be thinking, what's the big deal about touching it in harm? It's just an animal, maybe. What's the big deal? I mean, okay, it's a trust, but what's the big deal? Well, first of all, it's not just about the camel itself. Of course, a Muslim is ordered to be merciful towards the animals. And that, an old, and that a woman who tortured a cat by imprisoning her in a room not letting it eat outside and not feeding it herself, punish the cat until it died. It was a result of her entering hellfire. And a woman who practiced prostitution in her life wanted God to forgive her. And one day she saw a dog who was panting out of thirst and she gave it drinking water. And as a result, it was what it was needed for her to enter paradise. But this is not the main issue here. The main issue is that you and Allah, you want to establish a relationship with Him. This Prophet has been calling it to worship Allah alone and calling to the truth. You've asked for a particular miracle, whether it's a she camel or the sky raining gold on you, whatever, you can ask for anything you want. And Allah gave you that miracle according to your request, because this is an unnatural thing. It's a supernatural thing which Allah doesn't do, unless it's for something really especially special. And He made you special by giving you something that even the Prophets themselves have never asked for. And the noblest of people in history, Allah didn't give. He gave you when you're fighting God. So I'm only asking you to do one thing. I'm commanding you not to touch this she-camel in any harm. Is this a difficult request? This also tells us, the scholars tell us, this is the fuqaha, that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands people, He never commands us to do anything that is beyond our ability. And if He commands us to do something, number one, it's only because it's the best for our development. And number two, Allah never asks us to do something in order to burden us. It, never something beyond our ability. Allah says, مَا جَعَلَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ مِنْ Allah did not make anything in, these, in this religion of yours, anything in it, rules or laws or commandments or advice or guidance, to make life difficult on you. You, you make it a burden on yourself, by the way you think and by the way you learn your own religion. I mean, you learn in a twisted way sometimes. Not you. I mean, some people, they learn in a twisted way. They look at it as more formalities than spiritual, for example. About the outside appearance. Like a mathematical calculation. <laughs> yes, salat helps. The beard helps. The hijab helps. The fasting helps. But they are secondary things, actually. Secondary. They are meant to complete you in the original purpose, and that is your spiritual connection to Allah, and secondly, your development of your character. That's the purpose of it. So, 
The religion is not difficult. And Allah usually asks us to do very simple things, like what He asked Adam السلام, commanded Adam and Hawa to do what? Eat whatever you like from paradise, from this garden, but don't touch the tree. <laughs> a tree, a tree. Who cares about what tree it is? It's not about the tree, it's about command of Allah. Do you trust Him? Do you establish the trust that if I were to tell you, don't touch a tree, will you obey? It means a lot. I gave you one job, <laughs> as they say. You couldn't even do that. So don't touch this animal in any harm. Very simple. Subhanallah, the shaitan came to them and they listened. And these people proved to be filled with evil themselves. They started to see the she-camel as a burden on them. Subhanallah. The command of Allah, they turned it into a burden. It started drinking from the well one whole day, and the whole village had to wait one whole day the next day to drink from it. They got annoyed of that. And it gets to graze anywhere it wants, it's eating our crops. So they devised a plan to kill the sheikham, eat its meat, use its fur, its leather, and get rid of it once and for all. We don't want that truth looking at us in the face. <laughs> SubhanAllah. There were nine groups of troublemakers in that community. You could call them nine gangs. They had a leader and followers. In the modern world, you can call them bikies. You can call them gangs who sell drugs or whatever. You can call them gangs who are out there to corrupt. These were nine corrupt gangs. Whenever the leaders of the community wanted to do something corrupt, obviously the leaders cannot ruin their reputation. They've got to look like they are just and fair and out there for the people. They get these guys to do their dirty work. So Allah says, And in their city, there were nine gangs. Rahat. They always, their purpose was to corrupt everybody's lives and never repair. They came to them and said, what can you do for us? They said, we'll go kill the she-camel and then we'll go to Saleh and his family and those who followed him, we'll kill them as well at night. We'll return and we'll say, we don't know what happened to the family and to the camel. And that way no one can prove who killed them. It's similar to when they devised to kill the Prophet Muhammad Subhanallah, they got a member from each village to kill the Prophet assassinate him in one go, and the blood is distributed among all the villages. They're not going to fight all the villages, so then just pay blood money and everybody's off the hook. These nine said, we'll kill him and nobody can blame anyone and there is no proof or evidence. So, they went into the mountains. They found the she-camel and its baby. And, as Allah says, They slaughtered the she-camel. They said in the hadith that they could hear its screaming throughout the entire city and its baby. Then they slaughtered it, cut it up, distributed its meat, 
and used its leather direct disobedience of Allah which meant a lot more than just killing an animal Salih found out before the nine groups went and got to him and his family and Allah said to Salih Salih they have broken the treaty with them and between them and Allah you have warned them you have advised them I gave them exactly what they asked for this is now proof that the judgment is final these people are corrupt in nature and they will never make justice or goodness on in the land except corruption therefore there is no need for people whom I created who will only corrupt in the land time to take them away they got the messenger they got their proof they got their signs and they insisted on corrupting. When Allah sees that, He takes them away. He takes them back. Now, killing them is not the punishment. Allah's just taking them back. The punishment's in the hereafter. So Salih said to them, Ya qawm, my people, for doing that, I warned you. They said, What are you warning us? Bring about Allah's punishment on this earth as you have warned and promised. We are waiting, you foolish man. And he said, wait, three days and the punishment will come. SubhanAllah, Allah still gave him three days to repent. And Allah said to Salih and his family, run and do not look back. Allah says, and when a village or a town or a people corrupt beyond measure and the messenger has come to them and the judgment befalls them in the truth, we save the believers among them, the Muslimun, the, 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 the ones who, who fix, the ones who are righteous, the ones who make things right, and we get rid of the corruptors. He ran away, and Allah brought the first day. Their faces turned yellow. They started to cry. Oh my God, it's a plague, it's a disease. But they did not repent. Then the second day, their faces turned red. And the third day, their faces, faces turned dark. And subhanAllah, this was the three signs they said in the hadith that the punishment of Allah was coming to them. On the fourth day, Allah did not bring upon them a breeze or a, what he called a tornado like he did to the people of Ad. He brought upon them colors of punishments. There was an earthquake, a flood, and there was a, something called a sayha. Sayha means the angel Jibreel comes in and screams until their ears pop. You know, like a, subhanAllah, it reminds you of an atomic bomb, like a wave that, that explodes the ears and the brains. Human beings can even invent that. So he took them and Allah says, Far away, away with the people of Ad and the people of Thamud. When Salih came back to see the city, he saw them all dead. And he got sad for them. Sad in a sense that, more like pity. And he said, Ya qawmi, my people, I advised you. But you do not like those who advise you. You don't want the advice. You, ref you chose this way. My brothers and sisters in Islam, Ad and Thamud 
are the only two tribes who became extinct among the Arab world, the Arab bloodline. And Allah says in the Quran, we left their buildings as a sign after you so that you may reflect. Their buildings in Jordan, in Petra, are still there, of Ad. And the Thamud, their buildings are still there in Saudi Arabia today, a few kilometers outside of Medina. Rasulullah said in the hadith which is in Sahih Muslim and Bukhari, whoever of you, when he went to the battle of Tabuk fighting the Romans, they passed by the buildings of Thamud. Huge castles and buildings carved into the mountains. Allah used to describe it, it says, You carve, you carve and chisel very fine, careful, artistic creation of this. Architecture beyond imagine, beyond our amusement. You chisel and you carve into the mountains big buildings to show us that civilization does not advance through their technological orchestration or through their architecture or through their uh, you know, technological advancement. A civilization is judged by its justice and its morals. Brothers and sisters, he said, when you pass by, when he was going to Marakat Tabuk, they passed by Madan Salih, and the Prophet said, these are the places of the people whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala destroyed as a result of their own doings. So do not pass them as a form of amusement, like a holiday, like a tourist attraction, but rather pass by them while your heads are down and weep, cry, Remembering, remembering the destruction of people who were corrupt and remember the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The fear of Allah does not mean to be scared of God. Allah is Arhamur Rahimin. He is the most merciful. That's who Allah is. And I am, Allah says, as you think of me in a positive way. Allah does not. He gives chances after chances. However, if a people deserve to be punished in such a way, it means truly they are the most evil of evil. Because Allah will never punish a people unless there is no hope in them. And He only punishes them because, get ready for it, He only punishes them because of His mercy. Allah takes away people because of His mercy, not because of His wrath, because of His mercy. Why? Aren't there innocent people? Aren't there generations to come after them who deserve to live moral and ethical and safe lives? Do they not have the right to resources which Allah created for all mankind and all creatures? These people are corrupt. They were ruled by injustice. They made people into a hierarchy like a pyramid. They decided who deserves what. And they have control over God's resources on earth which were made freely to all people and all creation. Allah will not leave these types of people in order to bring corruption upon the innocent lives of generations to come. So He gets rid of them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does that out of mercy for the others to give them a chance so they can lead with justice. And Allah says in the Quran, And if it wasn't that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala repels certain people with others, meaning he replaces them with others, or that he creates people who fight off other people who are corrupt. Many places of worship 
monasteries would have been destroyed and churches and synagogues and mosques in which Allah's name is mentioned often. Yani Allah subhanahu wa is mentioning places of worship even if they were belonging to other religions it is injustice to destroy these things and to cause corruption and havoc but rather Allah wants us to establish harmony in order that we may teach the people the truth that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought us with. If you were to destroy their buildings and destroy these people based on their belief then what is the purpose of the messengers coming to this world? It is da'wah. Da'wah. And the only reason Rasul accepted, remember the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, when we talked about the Sira series. Remember the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, when he accepted all their rules, even though they were oppressive. It was for one purpose, to stop war. They didn't want to fight anymore. And to have peace, so that they can teach the people the message of Allah. And truly within two years, 10,000 people embraced Islam and followed the truth. As compared to nearly 19 years of war and battles where only a few handful followed the truth. So Islam only works in an environment and a community of peace and harmony. It's not made to work in corruption and war and blood. My brothers and sisters in Islam, such was the story. Saleh then took his family and went to Palestine. Uh, in Arabic, the true name is Philistine. Philistine is the name in the Torah. And it is the name in the Gospel, the Injil. And it is the name in the Zabur, the Zams, which is sent down upon Dawood, And the historians call it Philistine. That's the original Arabic, or the original name of Palestine. Jerusalem, Saleh died there, and after him, the people had another chance, but subhanAllah, yet again, the false came to the surface, and people returned to the worshipping of idols and deities other than Allah alone. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent another messenger of Allah a prophet by the name of Ibrahim The story of Salih and Hud is mentioned about 26 times in the Quran, 26 places. The story of Ibrahim is repeated in the Quran more than 70 in 79 times in over 23 surahs. Because the story of Ibrahim is extremely important so full of wisdom and lessons for our ummah, for the world, that Allah mentioned it that many times. Ibrahim, alayhi salam, he was born in Babylonia, in Iraq today. And he spoke a language other than Arabic, Ibri, or the original language of Hebrew, possibly Aramaic, with a people who worshipped idols with zealous, zealously. Obviously they, were, they knew who God was, they, they all worshipped, they all said Allah is one. Like today even the Jews say God is one, Christians say God is one, the Sikhs who are a branch of Hinduism, they say God is one. Everybody, even the Hindus themselves say there is an ultimate one God. 
But the problem is that they brought deities and gave them different characteristics and called them gods as part of gods. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, I am the one and only. How can you worship other deities other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone who misguide you and do not speak to you and do not respond to you and cannot benefit you and you use them in order to create corruption and havoc and you use them in order to create superiority, superiority over others and hierarchies over others and so we can see in history as a result of what idolatry did when we reached the story of Pharaoh. In the time of Ibrahim السلام, there was a king. His name was called An-Namrud. Nimrod meaning in Arabic the one full of pride. And he used the idols, idolatry as a means to create his, uh, himself as an ultimate uh, king of all kings to the point where he himself called himself a god. When people follow false, then everybody can make up any religion they want. There was uh, this man who uh, made up his own religion and he said there are aliens that will come and take your bodies. And he took his followers to this remote place. They committed suicide and waiting with their luggage for aliens to come and take them to salvation. There was a woman who made her religion. She called it the hugging religion. She came to Australia and everybody said, yeah, hug, hug, hug. Why? Because it's false. Why not? Follow something that's false and can be manipulated and edited as we please. But when it comes to the truth, which you can't change, uh, they say we are imprisoned with it. With it. It's, it, 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 it restricts us. No. You are against the truth. You don't want to accept honesty. You don't want to accept trustworthiness. You don't want to accept all these values because they restrict you from doing the wrong thing. That's the truth. My brothers and sisters in Islam, Ibrahim السلام, came to them and he was the son of... His father was nicknamed Azar. And Azar is a kind name. Ibrahim السلام's father had good values and that is that he was kind to the people. He was so kind that he used to himself manufacture the idols for them in different shapes made to order <laughs> gods made to order and they used to buy them off their father of his father Azar. they trusted him and they each person would get a god of their own call it a name and make it the god of something as their feelings desire the god of trust the god of uh, marriage the god of this or the god of that like greek theology and people used to Pray to them, look at them, talk to them, give them offerings, and everything else. As you know, idolatry. Ibrahim السلام, grew up, and one day he was approximately what you would call today 12 years old. And he realized in his instinctive conscious nature. Instinctive conscious what? Nature. Instinctive conscious. Con con conscious nature is what we call in Arabic in the hadith what the Prophet taught us it is al-fitrah fitrah fitrah every person is born with it to naturally without any manipulation without any influence from society or parents or people around you this is the secret within every human being an intuition that makes you question where did I come from there has to be a creator. There has to be a being that made all of this. And, it's, got, and it's, it's supported by our eyes and our ears and our brain and our hearts. All of these support us to guide us. Subhanallah. When Ibrahim السلام, noticed this, he immediately, like any other child, 
If a child looks at you praying to a stone, and you say to the stone, give me, give me, the child will say, huh? He's not talking to you. Why are you talking to a rock? You don't even have to teach the child that. My children say this to me all the time. I, I've developed this habit, brothers and sisters. Wallahi, I'm not insane or crazy, trust me. It's just that when you're a public speaker, they all tell you, you talk to yourself a lot. I've been driving, I, I don't realize I was talking to myself. Training. I don't know why that happens. My kids always recognize them. Dad's, uh, Dad, why are you talking to yourself again? It's like, obviously, you don't talk to yourself. That's crazy. It's stupid. Kids, that's what they're saying, basically. That's instinct of a child. Once I said, uh, she said to me, I want to see Allah. I said, you can't see. Why? That's instinctive. Why? The fact that she says, I want to see Allah, means that instinctively we want to connect with the higher power. <laughs> she said, I can't see him. Why? I said, because not right now, but in Jannah you can. She says, why? She says, right now it's hard to see him because your eyes will burn. Can you look at the sun? She says, no, you can't look at the sun. She says, okay. Well, how can I see Allah? Can I get a ladder? She said, no, a ladder won't reach. She said, okay, well, I'm going to talk to him. I said, you can talk to him in Salat. She goes, I want to hug him. I said, in Salat. And she goes, oh, is that why we do this? <laughs> We're hugging him. For a child, what are you going to say? He said, yes, <laughs> yes. And that encouraged her to pray. Another time, she said, she did something wrong to me, and I showed her a bit of anger. She got scared, started to cry, and she, instead of running away from me, she wanted to hug me. No, no, go away. I pushed her, she's pushing forward. But Yami, if you're scared of someone, aren't you meant to run away? Yes? She's running to me. That day I thought, why would my daughter run to me when she's supposed to be scared of me? The harder I pushed, the more she pushed to come. She's afraid, but her fear is guiding her to come closer to me. Because she knows her father has mercy and love, because he's her dad. Her father's meant to be the safety. Right at that point, she felt that she lost that side of her dad. She wants the love back. She didn't lose her dad, she lost that side of her dad. She wants it back. So she's pushing to make me love her again. And the way to do this is to hug her. I put her in my lap finally, hugged her, she slept. She felt safe. Wallahi, she taught me a stronger, deeper meaning to the word ittaqullah. The taqwa of Allah. To fear Allah. What do you mean to fear Allah? That He'll destroy me? No. No. To fear Allah means to run away. To run away from being distant from Allah to Allah. Run away from Allah 
too old. Run away from disconnecting from Allah to establishing the love with Allah. Run away to Allah to feel safe. Run away from all this stuff that's around you to Allah. Your safety is only with Him. Fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala means to stay away from the things that make you distant from Him. That's what we're afraid of. And running to Him to get that safety, security, love back. For Wallahi, as Allah says in the Quran, Behold, it is in the remembrance of Allah that the hearts feel safe. My brothers and sisters, Ibrahim was like that, alayhi salam. At a tender age, he sees his father praying to these idols and selling them. He sees everybody carrying them on their shoulder, on their camels, putting them in places and praying to them. Why? Umar ibn Khattab says, In my jahiliya days, I used to, when I used to travel, I used to make my God, because he had a big good statue God, he goes, I can't carry him, it's too heavy. So I used to get dates, because dates are like clay. I'd, I'd mold them into something that looks like my statue at home. I'd carry it with me on my journey. Whenever I needed something, I'd pray to it. He goes, Umar al-Khattab used to eat a lot before Islam. So he goes, when I reached halfway and I ran out of food, I got too hungry. So I started to eat my God. <laughs> Ibrahim salam comes to his father and says, Ya Abati. Now the word Abati in Arabic is like saying, My dear beloved father. It is the ultimate way of combining between showing your love to him and your respect. Both. So when you say Abi, it's a respect. Abati, respect and closeness. So both of them. His father's a kafir. Ibrahim salam is a mu'min. Yet he is addressing his father with the most tender and respectful address. Ya Abati. This tells us that even if your parents are disbelievers and they fight you in order to leave your deen, don't obey them in that, but still address them with respect, tenderness, and love. Allah says, and if your parents struggle and strive in every way to not believe in me, don't obey them. But continue to accompany them in life with goodness. My brothers and sisters, he says, Ya Abati, لِمَ تَعْبُدُ مَا لَا يَسْمَعُ وَلَا يُسْكِرُ وَلَا يُغْنِ عَنْكَ شَيْئًا Oh Dad, I want to know, why do you worship something that doesn't hear, doesn't see, and doesn't benefit you in anything? That's a child's words. Why are you talking to yourself, Dad? Why are you worshiping something that doesn't hear or listen to you? Child, instinctive, fitrah. Ya abati, he addresses him again. Ya abati, dear beloved father, I love you. La ta'budi shaitan. He keeps going. Uh, don't worship the shaitan. Shaitan is evil. Inna shaitana kan al-Ibrahmani asliya. The shaitan always disobeys the most merciful. You see, his father knew about the story of Adam. He knew about the story of Shaitan. He knows the story about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They all worshipped Allah one and only, but they made partners with him. 
Just like Muhammad وسلم, when Allah addresses him, he used to say to him, tell them not to make partners with Allah. And they used to reply to him by saying, we do worship Allah alone. But we, we also worship these idols because they bring us closer to him. Through, we need intercessors, which is shirk. Allah does not need an intercessor. Allah says, If my worshippers ask you about me, I am close. I'm always close. You don't need. And that's why the messengers died. So that we don't think that we need messengers to reach Allah. Messengers bring us the message to teach us and guide us. Then Allah takes them away so we can focus on Allah. As Abu Bakr Siddiq said when the Prophet Muhammad died and the whole of the city was crying, an earthquake of cries, and some people wanted to leave Islam, some people wanted to die. Abu Bakr stood up and said, Whoever used to worship Allah, he is ever living and he will never die. And whoever used to worship Muhammad, then he has died. So we worship Allah alone. And he said to him, Ya Abati, O my beloved father, there has come to me news that has not come to you yet. Follow me. I am able to guide you to a, a, a guidance which suits both of us. That you taught me on and I will regurgitate to you. So his father knew the truth. And his father knew that these idols weren't going to benefit him. After a little while, the father sort of got convinced by his son. So he says, alright then. You know, you take them and sell them in the market. At least benefit some money with them. So Ibrahim goes out with the idols to the market and he says, O oh people, O oh people, who would like to buy something, a product that cannot benefit you in any way and cannot harm you in any way? <laughs> Who's going to buy a product that can't benefit anyone and can't harm anyone? Like, I mean, a gun can harm people, right? I'll buy it to harm people, astaghfirullah. And a, uh, you know, a perfume benefits you, right? Food benefits you. He goes, it doesn't benefit. And cannot harm, can't do anything with it. But buy it. Come on, I'll give you a special price. Nobody bought the idols because they didn't see them, they didn't know what he was talking about. When he returned back home and found that he couldn't sell anything, the father said, Well, could you say something that doesn't benefit or harm? Because, Dad, I'm telling the truth, Ibrahim was one of those who wore his heart on his sleeves. He spoke how he felt, not how he felt, what he believed. So Ibrahim comes back, and this is what happened. And then one day he says to his father something not good. As he grew up older, his father says to him, the king Namrud is our God. And he said, no, he's not. Allah is the God of Namrud and you. In the Israelite tradition, it said that his father slapped his son and his mother slapped his son because there was abuse. They started to abuse Ibrahim himself. This is called religious abuse. And they said that how dare you leave the religion of your own parents? Emotional abuse. And then physical abuse. And they tried to play with his mind. Psychological abuse. All forms of abuse Ibrahim went through with his parents. And finally, his father said to him, are you, do you think that you are greater than me and our belief that you think you're better than my own gods, Ya Ibrahim? 
لئن لم تنتهي if you don't stop what you're doing لأرجمنك I will stone وهجرني مليا and abandon get out of here I will abandon you I will disown you Ibrahim السلام, continued to tenderly talk to his father regardless until finally Ibrahim made the choice when there was no hope and he said to his father if you're not going to accept me you're not going to have me I will leave you alone I will continue to ask Allah to forgive you and I will continue to call upon Allah my Lord will never leave me alone and I hope that he guides you and me, my father. So even when he left, he still made dua for his father. He still made istighfar for his father and for his mother. But he had to leave because his father would no longer allow him to stay. As he left, he went, first of all, to the church. The, the church, not a Christian church, it was their place of worship and they had all the idols there. And he looked up at the stars and he said to the people, I feel sick and I need to stay here so the idols can cure me. And this shows us that the people of Babylonia used to have this belief about the way the stars were positioned. They had belief in, uh, in um, uh, astrology. And they said, yeah, that's good, that's fine. You can stay here, you can worship the idols and get God, you know, whatever, these stars or whatever to cure you. They left him. And he had in his little baggage an axe, uh, not an axe, a, a, a sledgehammer. When they left, he looked at the idols and he spoke to the idols. He says, have some food. No one spoke to him. Came to the big one. It was a big statue. Take some food, eat. They didn't talk to him. And Ibrahim said, What's wrong with you that you can't talk? Now, no one's around him. <laughs> but, as I said, this teaches us and tells about his personality. Ibrahim was so for the truth to the point where even when he's by himself, he's acting out their false just to prove to himself a point as well. Why don't you talk back? <laughs> and he said, Wallah, I know that you have no power whatsoever and you are just stones that they have built. He grabs the sledgehammer and starts to break the idols. And he leaves the big idol as it is. He goes and hangs the sledgehammer on its neck and he leaves the, he leaves the, uh, the, the place of worship. The next day the people come along and they see their idols all smashed. And they call, they were enraged. Who did this to our gods? Who did this to our gods? Who broke our gods? So they have to protect their gods. I mean, they're, they're basically proving the argument against themselves. A god's meant to protect you. You're praying to it to protect you. But instead, now you've got to protect it and stand up for it. Obviously, they knew it was false. So one of them said, it was a young boy. He's the one who did it. They said, burn him, burn him. And save your gods. <laughs> I mean, that, what they mean, save the ideology that you believe in. The false ideology. 
So Ibrahim was caught. Now in our Sharia, you shouldn't really go into people's places and break their idols and their crosses and all of that stuff. But with Ibrahim there was no Sharia like that and he hadn't yet become a prophet. And he was part of the people and he was one of them. He broke his, basically his own people's belief. And when they brought him, the story is, you know, he said, Oh no, it's the big one there, that big statue. He's the one that broke all the other idols. He got jealous of them and he wanted to prove that he's the bigger God. Now obviously he's teaching them something. He's saying, number one, if you have too many gods, they're going to start fighting. Because each one's going to fight for their kingdom, is that correct? I mean, your own king, Namrud, calls himself a god. He wants godliness to himself. And Allah does say in the Quran, If there were more than one god in this universe, then they would, this universe would be corrupted. And each god will fight the other god to be the main god. They started thinking, that's true. He just wants to be the main god because he's the biggest and most powerful. He killed all the others. So they looked at Ibrahim and he said, Ibrahim, look, listen, come here. You know and we know that they can't talk. Alright? It's not why we're doing it, man. We're trying to survive here, you know. We're trying to get some money in. We're trying to get the big people and the small people, you know, the hierarchy. Work with us, man. We'll give you some stuff. So the truth be, he's told. And uh, they knew he's lying, otherwise he wouldn't lie. Like he was, he was, he was lying, but the lie was a type that everybody knew. So you're allowed to say something when you know everybody knows that you are lying, right? You know it's not, it's no longer, it's a lie, but it's not a harmful lie, right? It's not a white lie, it's still a lie, but people know that you're just. It's like when you joke and you say, "Look, I'm lying." It's just everybody says, "Yeah, we know, we know, we know." Just trying to get the moral of the story. So they were almost about to sort of follow him, and then he said something. He said, Two, two on you and your gods. Uffin means two. It's like spitting at someone. He shouldn't have done that. But he had the right to do that because they were offering him, they were bribing him, they were trying to say, hey, join us, become corrupt like us. And he aboard that to the point where he says to, to you and what you are calling you're bribing me now you want me to share your corruption you want me to share your injustice of the people and you've been using these gods to put these people down and to use them and to exploit them true upon you and the gods that you worship meaning and this ideology that you fabricated in order to corrupt the people and become oppressive at that point they didn't like it they were about to be exposed you see so the leader said Burn him, burn him, burn him. And so everybody said, Yeah, burn him, burn him. They grabbed Ibrahim and he can't talk anymore. They tied him up with ropes and they put him in a catapult. And they said, Bring all the trees and all the wood and everything. They kept gathering it until it was the height of three story, a three-story building in the Hadith. They lit it up. The fire was so huge that people had to stand really back. They couldn't throw him in there except with a catapult. They put him in the catapult. They wouldn't hear from him anymore and they released it. Ibrahim السلام, starts flying in the air, heading towards the big blazing fire. In the hadith, which is, uh, I'm not sure if it's sahih, but 
Allah it's weak, but the moral of the story is that the angel Israfil came to him and he said to him, ask me for anything I'll give you. And Ibrahim said, I have someone who's already looking after me. And then Mikael came and said, I am, Allah has given me the power of controlling the climate. Ask me, I will extinguish the fire. He said, I already have someone who's protecting me. And then he said his following word. Now this is the authentic one. Qal, hasbi Allah. Enough is Allah for me. And He is the best to rely on. Why are you guys coming to me? You, 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 you. Allah is the best. And He is enough for you. This, my brothers and sisters, is the ultimate lesson here. He is about to be thrown into a blazing fire, no doubt. And He has no power whatsoever. The angels have come to Him and He can see Him. And yet, He says, My belief in Allah is enough. And so strong that he is the only one that can save you. Now, brothers and sisters, don't misunderstand this where you just sit there at your home and you say, God will save us, God will save us, and you don't do anything. Ibrahim couldn't do anything at all. Yet still at that point, he did something. What is it? He called upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's all he could do. If he could have done anything else, he would have done it. And rely on Allah at the same time. Hasbi Allah wa Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Hasbi Allah wa ni'mal wakil is a statement that Ibrahim said when he was thrown in the fire. No believer in the world who is distressed and full of hardship to a point where they've hit rock bottom and they have none but Allah except they say Hasbi Allah wa ni'mal wakil except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take them out of any hardship that they are in. Abad. You have to mean it from your heart. Allah says in the Quran, وَقُلْنَا يَا نَاوْكُونِي بَرْدًا وَسَلَامًا عَلَىٰ we said to the fire, O fire, be cool and peaceful on Ibrahim. If he had said, be cool, the fire would have frozen him to death. But he said, be cool and peaceful. Only the ropes got burnt off him and Ibrahim went into the fire. Ibrahim stayed in the fire for days until the fire was extinguished. And on, after a few days, they all saw Ibrahim walk out of the fire before their eyes and only one person believed in him subhanallah his name was Lut a cousin of Ibrahim Ibrahim said there was never a better day than the day that I was in the fire for nobody abused me and Allah gave him a fountain and he said I was praying eating and drinking my brothers and sisters in Islam I'll stop here now I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make Ramadan one full of blessings. I ask Allah to forgive us in it and to make us among those who will develop new habits. I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to save us from the fire in this month. And I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us live through this Ramadan and let us benefit and reap from it the taqwa that He promises us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept it from us. And I don't know when it is, could be Sunday or Monday. Uh, Allahu A'lam. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept all of it. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala unite us in goodness, happiness, and the iman in this world and the next. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa jama'ala.